welcome to the Joyful Nourishment Podcast, a place for conversations around all things food, eating, body image and nourishment. Here we'll explore and unpack all the things that gets in the way of us having a kind, compassionate relationship with food and eating in our bodies and also how we can find our way back to joyful nourishment in our everyday lives. I'm your host, Lynn Thorstensen, a registered nutrition therapist and body image coach based in the west of Ireland, and I am so glad that you're here. Welcome back to the Joyful Nourishment podcast, and I'm super excited with my guest today, Sinead Crow, who is an intuitive eating counselor, a nutritional therapist, and a perinatal mental health clinical nurse specialist. Jesus, that is a mouthful. And she has a whole other bunch of expertise in dialectical behavioral therapy, strategic intervention, behavioral family therapy. And she is a super busy woman, I know, because she has four children. And she's also currently completing a master's in mindfulness-based intervention in UCD. I really don't know how you do it all, Sinead, but we can talk about that too. Um, so Sinead's background, and we'll dive into this a bit more um, as we start the interview, but she experienced binge eating for over 20 years and enforced rigid food rules for her eldest two children. And she has since had two more children and has totally changed her approach and raised them as intuitive eaters. I would say, so I'm just adding this to the introduction here, that Sinead and her sister Gillian, when they started their um, Intuitive Eating Ireland Instagram account back in 2020 they really put intuitive eating on the map in Ireland or at least really kind of vocalized the conversation that I have that might have been going on behind the scenes but you really kind of put it out there um, and also helped us connect with all the people who were kind of already having this conversation um, and she is now as a result of all of this binge free and has a peaceful relationship with food so Sinead says, this one self-professed chocoholic believed she could never be in the company of chocolate without hoovering it up, but now enjoys the life where chocolate is sitting in her fridge because who leaves it in the press all year round and she can finally take it or leave it. She's passionate about empowering others, particular mothers who feel like they've no longer recognized their bodies or lives and use food to cope. So thank you, Sinead, for being here. And yeah, I'm really excited. How are you yeah thanks for having, for, this thanks for having me Lynn you're welcome nice to be here yeah so what I have been doing with my guests and this is because of my own I suppose in Ireland we say no see don't we is to really <laughs> kind of curiosity is maybe more of an appropriate word is yes. to kind of come at it because I'm always interested in like people's backstory around the relationship with food but also because we're talking about creating a healthier relationship with food eating in our bodies and moving away from diets and dieting so like how did you kind of like what did that what does that journey look like for you that is my question I think yeah well I mean I think like so many people I think from a young age from a very young age actually I do remember being quite kind of conscious of my body and feeling like maybe I was like bigger than my friends in in school um, I definitely remember from a young age feeling kind of like, yeah, just different from my friends. 
And even though, you know, I, I, I really can say actually hand in heart, we were quite lucky. We didn't, we weren't raised in a household that was kind of, there wasn't like rigid food rules. My mum was quite easy going around food. Like she was a great cook. So she was big into like cooking different foods all the time. So we had lots of wonderful, tasty, delicious meals growing up. We were very blessed. Um, but she was also the type that like would occasionally buy things. When I think back, the things that were kind of like, you know, really deemed as treats in our house would have been like, you know, things like grapes and orange juice and um, you know, maybe chocolate or chocolate Nutella, for example. And like when she would buy them and I have three sisters, like three younger sisters, I'm the eldest we would literally just like inhale them within an hour of her buying them. So she wouldn't then buy them for another maybe three or four weeks. And the same thing would happen again. So um, there was definitely this kind of idea of like the minute you see it, make sure you get it. Because if you don't get it quick enough, your sisters are going to have it gone and it won't be there tomorrow. So that was yeah. always kind of the message, I think. So I think my disordered eating relationship with food really started when I joined Weight Watchers. Um, I think I was about 16 at the time and um you know, like that, it was sure like, look at it was like the, I remember the high, the adrenaline of going in and being given the instructions and this is what you need to do. And your little, like the, the plan and you're getting your little card and oh, it's all so exciting. And like anybody who's ever been dieting and certainly I've been on probably, I God knows how many over the years, like the first one is easy peasy, isn't it? Like, it's so exciting. You're given the rules, you go off, like you, you of course, lose weight the first week, head back. And they're like, oh, wow, step in the scale, you know. And it was like that went on for a number of weeks where I thought this is a piece of cake, absolute piece of cake until it wasn't, until it wasn't. And very quickly, I suppose, the restriction for me kind of evolved into this place of Monday to Friday. I was kind of like being, you know, quote unquote, really good. And I was following the plan, but then inevitably was off the plan over the weekend. And I would just find I started to become quite like, felt like kind of like out of control with food then at the weekend. So this went on obviously over time and, and it absolutely evolved into binge eating. And I mean, I was, I never went for any formal um, like screening or diag diagnosis, but I mean, I, I definitely would have met the criteria for binge eating disorder. Um, so, I mean, I'd done that for a number of years and whether it, whether it was Weight Watchers or whether it was the keto diet or paleo or, um, you know, Stim World or like literally the list goes on. The three day diet, the juice cleanse, the the intermittent fasting. I mean, like, yeah, you've tried them all, I think. <laughs> I've tried them all. I've tried them all. And, and I have um, a question there, Sinead, though. Like, yeah, first of all, like you were 16 years old and I suppose we mm -hmm. can say this now when we're much older than that it's like who agreed to that or who who kind of like a, a, as an adult in your life were kind of like oh yeah that's a great idea Sinead I think you should go to Weight Watchers like was there anybody who had sort of thoughts about that or like opposition or even encouragement at that time you know I genuinely don't think I got encouragement or opposition I think it was more of a okay if that's I I like I definitely think that looking back on it like I remember my dad used to say to us like we'd go in we'd go into Weight Watchers myself and you know my sisters and I mean he used to kind of joke and say you're you're all going in there paying 10 euro piece to stand in a scale but if you want I'll I'll bring out the weighing scale here and weigh you all for half the price you know I'll give you a deal you know it's a bit of a joke um but yeah I mean they never they never told us we should go they never encouraged us to go but equally they didn't really question why we were going but again I just think it was reflective of 
like it was it was assumed that dieting and pursuing weight loss was always a good thing yeah like okay. I do believe looking back like I think you know my parents are certainly a lot more aware now and I'm sure that's got to, a lot to do with the conversations they've probably been listening to with myself and Gillian and whatever in the last number of years my other two sisters but you know but but but, but back then it was very much that like, this is what, like, as the, oh, if you're, that's a great thing. Well done. That's going to really improve your health. There was no really understanding, I don't believe, about eating disorders, disordered eating behavior, body image, how dieting can really negatively impact body image. I mean, there definitely wasn't that awareness. So in a way, I suppose, I'm really glad that I didn't have a parent that shoved me out the door into Weight Watchers because unfortunately, a lot of people did experience that Absolutely. and they were kind of given no choice. Um, but equally, I, I didn't have anybody question it and say, you know, actually, I, I, I don't think this is a good idea for you, which is absolutely. I mean, if any child of mine told me that they were planning on joining Weight Watchers now, I would like obviously when they're 18, we've no control. Right. But yeah. I certainly would be having the conversation about what and express my, my deep concerns about doing that. Um, but no, there was no kind of major opposition, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think you touch on something. That is, and I mean, that's not, we're still see that today. It's like that kind of, well, you know, it's for your health. It's really good. Yeah. Like without considering all the potential harm that comes with restrictive course, dieting, yeah. you know, that like it's yeah. just, I, and I see that as well when I talk to professionals who are kind of sitting on the fence as well with like, well, you know, dieting is okay isn't it okay for some people and but what about health and you know yeah it's like yeah yeah but it's a good thing is it but, but is it until it's not until it's not. Yeah. yeah 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 and like we're, we're definitely still living that world but I do believe I mean I'm heading for 40 so I suppose a couple of decades ago it was even more cemented and you know, I suppose so poorly understood. It's not that I think it's it's not that I think it's evolved enough. Obviously, it hasn't. Um, but I do think there is more people that understand it now. Especially I, eating disorder awareness, I think, has become more yeah understood. Yeah, I think so. At least yeah, at least there's a bit more there. And then it's important as well to, um, like you said, that you know you would definitely met the criteria for binge eating disorder, but like never got a formal diagnosis. And I think like it's important to remember that like, there was only a formal diagnosis in 2013 that's only 10 years ago so, exactly like I think when I was in depth of my own struggles was like that was way before 2013 so it wouldn't have been in diagnosis to, to being gotten either so or anyway yes. Yeah, very true. And I mean, we also know like statistically only up to 15 percent of people will only ever go forward for a screening and potential diagnosis. So um, like the reality of it is there's a huge amount of people out there that have never like even told people about binge eating. So I'd say there's so much more struggling with this than we actually realize at all. Yeah, I think so. And because it's there's so much shame attached to it and it's and then the shame makes it so lonely and so isolating as well so that sort of perpetuates so that that whole you know isolation but it's I think that's why the work that you do on your page and like there's lots many voices today like where Instagram has been kind of like the I don't know putting some some good back into some of the harmful thing, yeah. things that's come with that platform as well in the last decade by raising mm. more awareness of stuff that is either normalized by the culture 
or that we think is just our own individual moral feelings that is much bigger problems that have way stronger kind of drivers that we think that is just oh it's, yeah. it's just me like right yeah and it's of course it's not just us and we certainly have not failed and that's what I'm really passionate about actually particularly around binge eating is trying to you know try to bust and shed some of that shame so that more people can speak about this and understand it and you know find that peace that is, is, is I believe is so possible for us all I really do believe that um but it's 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 virtually impossible if you stay stuck in that shame because then you're unlikely to um to experience that recovery um you know but this and, and again this is why I share my story particularly around binge eating because people need to know that the behaviors around binge eating it's not that they're somehow so flawed and that like they're lacking motivation discipline all of these things it's like a very natural hardwired response of our body to uh, eat and behave in this way when we've put it through um uh, you know a, a period of deprivation and um restriction which is you know makes complete sense Absolutely. if our bodies didn't respond like this we would have been extinct many <laughs> like you know humans would not have survived right no you and i wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation that's for sure exactly exactly so yeah yeah i I know i i totally agree with you and i feel sometimes as well and that's maybe because my background is in nutrition and you know you you're also trained in nutrition and it's like that that physio physiological driver from deprivation Mm -hmm. sometimes doesn't get enough acknowledgement in this sort of mental health psychological field and it's like unless the deprivation is also dealt with and supported and healed you can do all the other psychological work but you're only going to ever get halfway there because you're still fighting physiology yes absolutely because we are one we are with our mind and body is not separated we are one one um we are all one and it's just yeah it's you're spot on so true yeah the other question that I had there as well um with your kind of very colorful dieting past and then going on to study nutrition therapy um and we can have this I I know if you want to talk about that like how how that part of your professional background met your personal story and your relationship with food and what was helpful and what was maybe not so helpful and where you were at in your own kind of journey Mm -hmm. when you were doing that training because I think that might speak to people as yeah. well. Yeah, so that was like 10 years ago now. And, you know, there, it, I suppose in many ways, I, I kind of for many years believed that I just hadn't found the perfect diet. And if I only understood nutrition that bit better, uh, like that I would, you know, eventually lose weight and that that, you know, so which the irony of it, any of us that have ever actually dieted and been on these different plans, you're like understanding nutrition and knowing what a nutrient dense diet looks like is, is kind of not really what we're, we're, what we're, where we're lacking. Right. Cause like we have so much information, too much information. Yeah. Um, but you know, so what happened for me actually was it kind of pushed me into more of a place of orthorexia. So I became very um like just obsessed about 
having the perfect diet, like the kind of nutritionally perfect diet and having everything organic and everything. Um, like, honestly, I'd say I like it was like a field day for the likes of Evergreen or the health stores that I used to go to because I would go in and spend an absolute fortune on every kind of product that I could think was going to bring me, um, you know, supreme health, <laughs> health and well-being. And um, actually, it was just quite stressful. Now, yeah. look at like everything. I always, t- I, t- I did take a lot from that training. And, you know, I, I definitely believe that, um, you know, I done it for a reason. And it's not that it's a regret at, at all. But I think in many ways, it kind of moved away from, um, yeah, the kind of binge eating, but then became more of like the obsessive, perfectionistic, um, really high, high stress kind of eat, you know, um, a relationship with, with, with food. Uh, and that kind of really impacted the kids. So I kind of was like, you know, putting us all on a gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, everything free, fun-free, <laughs> um, <laughs> diet. You know, I just, I was so rigid around what I would give the kids. Like I thought, you know, if you eat any sugar, you're going to develop cancer. If you, if you know, I, I bought into all of this madness, yeah. um, the kind of fear mongering, the scare mongering around food. So I really kind of bought into that. Um, and again, just, I suppose, just to, you know, put into context like for people listening of course nutrition matters like I think some of people think when we're talking about these conversations that we're like it doesn't matter what you eat you can just eat whatever you want that's not what um obviously intuitive eating is about of course nutrition matters and of course our diet and what we do consume has an impact we of course we're striving yeah. for that to be um I suppose as varied and as balanced as possible but I, I, it wasn't what what is also what I've learned is more important. And actually, I do believe this to be true. I believe unless we are approaching our food from a place of, of ease and peace and contentment and stress free, I think that you could be eating broccoli and fruit and fish and whatever morning, noon and night. But if you're in a stressed state about what you're eating, this is not health and well-being. And I really do believe that. Yeah, I totally agree. And thank you for for really naming it as such, because that that sort of stress element and the stress around what we're eating or not eating, none of that is helpful or healthy and does Mm -hmm. have an impact as well. Like physiologically, I think, of course, we're not really looking at, you know, it's like do this. But and then also what I have been learning, I think, since I became more aware of this social determinants of health and the the different like the other impacts like nutrition matters but also there's a whole layer of challenges around accessibilities and affordability and all of those things that aren't necessarily what well, they certainly weren't brought up in my training 15 years ago but I suppose the world maybe where quite was lacking in some of the awareness at the time but we don't always talk about that either that it's like this is great and there are systemic challenges to make this available for everyone in the way it, it should or it ought to I think as oh well. my god definitely and that you're right it wasn't in, it wasn't focused on my training either and we were never taught that like when we consider health as you mentioned the number one determinant of our health is as all these kind of social determinants like you know the experiences that so many have like poverty unemployment mental health issues um you know the 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 list goes on you know um discrimination you know um weight discrimination stigma all of the impact that that has 
um, racism, the list goes on and the people have absolutely no control over. And then, um, you know, obviously has such an impact on our health. And that's not um, that's not kind of discussed when we think about like what 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 is usually discussed when we talk about health. It's like usually um, exercise and um, movement. And, you know, there's a few things that are kind of that that we have influence over. But even we consider, um, you know, what we're eating, as you rightly mentioned, we still don't have control over. I mean, what we are eating. Many people, um, you know, you, you know, food scarcity, food poverty. It's such a huge issue. I mean, yeah. look at the cost of living right now. I mean, I, I really do get messages from people to talk about how they're, they're, they're they want to pursue intuitive eating but they are finding that their diet is limited because they're on a, such a tight budget, they do feel restricted. So, so th- th- we want to also caveat that actually being really able to eat intuitively and have such a wide variety is a massive privilege. It's a massive privilege. Absolutely. Like I can go, like yeah. I can go to the I can go to the supermarket and literally be like, what would I like to put in that today? But that is not in my in my trial today, but that is not the experience of so many. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah, and that's really important to mention as well. And that is a lot of like within the kind of intuitive eating or health at every size kind of communities, a lot of that has been pointed out in the last few years in conversations yes, around. And rightly like, so. Yeah. You know, it is and then it's like how you know, and we can talk about, you know, what is intuitive eating and and part of like the 10 principles. But before we go there, I just want to circle back to kind of so how did you sort of go then from that sort of extreme rigidity around food? And then when, at what point did you come across intuitive eating and sort of what happened? Mm-hmm. Like, So probably about, um, probably about five or six years ago now, myself and my sister, like we're very close myself and Jillian, you mentioned earlier on, we started the Instagram page together. Um, Jillian's no longer on social media because she <laughs> energetic, she energetically, she's like, Oh my God, I have enough. But I continued on and, um, I, she, you couldn't shut me up if you tried. So anyways, here I am still talking about it a few years later, but yeah, about probably five or six years ago, myself and Jill just were like, you know, uh, I suppose we were in our kind of early 30s and we kind of were were talking about like just life and we really the conversation was around like there has to be more to life like we just gotten to the point where we had spent our entire 20s looking for searching for this diet that was going to make us thin like then it went on to kind of oh well we have to be like like so healthy and I kind of projected all of everything I'd learned in my nutrition and um, therapy uh, training onto my family and was like we need to be eating perfectly so we went through that like kind of decade of all of that and then I suppose really we just got to the point of it was more questioning of it going like this is it's it's also so boring and so dull to be so consumed by and living your life by and dictated by what you look like and we started to kind of talk about how we were so bored of the conversation about weight like honestly we were just so burnt out by it and I suppose because that kind of happened we just we kind of made a pact at one point to stop talking about dieting and weight and weight loss Um, and that actually was a real game changer we put that boundary in place and um, so once we stopped talking about it it actually became kind of less of a focus in my life. Um, And then it's like a seed was planted. Oh my God, actually, this feels so much better to not be talking about this all the time. And I Mm. guess 
I kind of it also at the same time was also trying to figure out like, well, I'm still not eating in a way that felt great. I mean, I was still kind of not necessarily probably regularly binge eating, but certainly eating in a way that still didn't feel great. So um, years previous, I had discovered um, Janine Roth's book. I don't know if you ever read mm-hmm. Janine Roth's work. Yeah, I think she was um, some of the first people also I read in this space. Around, yeah. I have her be- I think the one I read was Emotional Eating one, I think. She's written a few. She's written a few. So I read Women, Food and God. And even though it is more like the hunger fullness diet as opposed to intuitive eating, it definitely planted the seeds. I'm not actually recommending that people read that. But yes, I that's what planted the seed for me yeah. initially. And um, so I kind of got to thinking about, well, actually, am I like, do I eat when I'm hungry? And actually, do can I stop when I'm full and what's going on? So it kind of planted the seed. And then I came across intuitive eating. Um, and really, to be honest, I wasn't ready to let go of the pursuit of being like wanting to be thinner. I wanted to. I still believed somewhere that I just hadn't found it, that that was still there <laughs> lurking around. And that lurked around for a long time, you know, before yeah. I actually kind of got to the space where I was like, do you know what? It actually is more painful for me to continue down the path that I'm on than to redirect my focus onto a different path, which okay it's unknown I'm not really sure what it's going to look like I don't know what's going to happen if I try to this intuitive eating malarkey but I also know I can't stay on this track because this is awful and I could see that it was impacting my kids and my relationships and I was like oh I just knew something inside me was like screaming I you think need that's to get quite off. common yeah yeah and people can get to like you know you talk about sort of like the diet burnout and realizing Maybe I don't want to be spending all my time talking about these topics or thinking about this stuff. But then that is that kind of like like letting go of that. It's it's hard, but it yes. helps, I think, if we've arrived at a place where we're like, I guess, yeah, maybe I still want to my body to look different or be different, but I just I just can't do it anymore. And then yeah. it's like, okay, then but then what? And here's here's the next step. Here's the next step. Yeah. And I think we do kind of have to find that diet bottom. And I was definitely at diet bottom. I was like, I just, you know, damned if I dieted, damned if I didn't, even when if I was trying to diet, I just, it's like something in me physiologically, like biologically, psychologically, I was like, I cannot do it anymore. So I was at diet bottom and I went back to intuitive eating. And it was really interesting because like uh, me and Jillian still at this point weren't really talking about what we were doing in terms of food like we're still in that space where we're like we, we don't talk about this anymore that's not a conversation for us anymore so I anyways I was reading the book and one day the book fell out of my bag and she was there like just so mad really and she said what what's this and I was like oh well I'm just learning about intuitive eating and I'm just trying to figure this out and she was like oh well I'm, I I want to do that. So, you know, we just, it's funny. So she got the book. And actually, I think she got the workbook. I had the book. She got the workbook. She went through the workbook and was like, oh my God, I actually, like, this is really good. I And I was finding it good. So we started talking about it and it felt really lovely to have that kind of community. But then it was just me and her, like none of our friends were not like taking a non-diet approach. Nobody else in our lives were. So it was like, right, well, 
why don't we just talk about this and, and, and kind of learn more about this? And we kind of done that ourselves for, we, we were on the path ourselves for, for quite some time, but then we decided why not just document this and talk about it? So we set up the Instagram page and that was, yeah, like three and a half years ago now. And um, here we are. Here we are. And you have like over 30,000 followers at this point, don't you? Surrender. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, it's great. It's a lovely little community. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. And I think, yeah, it just <clears throat> like, and what you've done with that page is raising the awareness as well, particularly in Ireland, because for the years that I have been in this non-diet space, most of the conversations, including the professionals that I've been connected to and learned from are all based in the States. Yes. So knowing that there is more people like in Ireland who are having these conversations who are waking up to the harms around dieting and are also providing steps forward to like, well, if I'm not dieting, then, then what should I be doing? Or how do I heal my re- and repair my relationship with food and eating and my body? Mm-hmm. That there is mm-hmm. more people kind of offering ways like forward out of that, because I think we can be so left with, when we when we get to that place that you're talking about it's like where the body even says no it's like no way I'm not I just I'm not just not doing that anymore and I've had clients who totally described it just the way you've said it's so it just I just couldn't do it it just even thinking about it, it's just like absolutely no but then it's like well then what and like how do you eat again how do you know what you like how do you know how to shop again because you especially if, if you've done like lots and lots of different ones where they're all conflicting advice right one says eat this and another one says don't eat that and this one says oh sugar is not too bad and this one says fat is all evil and the next one says you should eat all the fat so like people get completely lost in it's like so so i don't know what to do anymore Mm. plus i think we also can sometimes forget like the this is where a lot of the psychological support i think comes in where all the time that we've spent on dieting and figure out what's the next and what to eat and not eat. For some people, that can also be a great distraction from other things in one's life. And of now course. there might be more time or more emotions and stuff coming up that may need some support as well as, as, the, as oh. we're navigating through to the, you know, like eating like um, in a way that is supportive. Absolutely. Well, I mean, look at dieting and pursuing weight loss and been constantly on that kind of bandwagon. Of course, it can very often be a distraction from something else or a running from something else or in your life that maybe is is not maybe working so well. Or even like think about how, you know, I even find now sometimes if I ever have like difficult body image moments where I might catch a, a judgmental thought about my body, it actually causes me to stop and pause and go, what else is actually bothering me at the moment? Because I blamed my body for so many years. Anytime anything ever went wrong, anytime things weren't going well, I redirected that focus to kind of fixing my body. So it can very often be a band-aid. Like sometimes we were very quick to blame our body. We're very familiar with what that feels like and what that looks like. And definitely, like you mentioned, the psychological support, like that's the piece that I feel and I'm helping, like I feel like I'm helping people with is that we do need that support to work through like what's going on. Um, Because ultimately, ultimately, like our relationship to food, how we relate to food, how we relate to our own body, it's not like it impacts so many other areas in our lives. Like what I have found with the women that I'm working with is that 
they'll often come back and go, oh my God, it was never really about the food, was it? And I was yeah. like, there we go. There we yeah. go. Like it's how, you know, it's that, it's that mindset. It's that inner voice. It's how we treat ourselves. It's how we, it's how we put up boundaries. It's how we, all of these things are, are like how we self-care. Um, oh my God, the list is endless. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then there's the other piece as well, what you said, I think when we let go of dieting, particularly if our body doesn't conform to the cultural norms, or even if it doesn't look the way it did 20 years ago, or the way we still would like it to be, there's all that grief and sadness and maybe anger. And sometimes I think there's a bargaining as well when people are kind of sitting on the fence, well, maybe I'll just do one more, one last one to see space that there needs to sometimes be space for all of that oh actually do you know what I've done I'm done now and I I want to use my time and energy and money on things that is more aligned yes oh absolutely grief is a huge one that comes up and loads of emotions can surface um for people and you know so many do need support to navigate that because as you mentioned the bargaining is one that without that support people do often find themselves going back to that diet and saying I'll just give it one more shot Uh, you know assuming that maybe and hoping that if this one works if I change my body I will feel better and and, you know the irony for so many is if we look back actually over our dieting history and you know our the impact that that might have had in our weight like even when I was in a much smaller body I still didn't like what I saw in the mirror. I still didn't. Yeah. I still wasn't happy. I still didn't think I looked good enough. I didn't feel good enough. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's working through all of that. Absolutely. And that, that, I think that is so interesting as well. It's like, it just didn't, it wasn't really about what it looked like. It was more like how we thought about it. Right. Yeah. And I suppose just another important caveat, I think, Lynn, is that like, I wish there was more people in this space that, um, were they themselves or if they're like living in bigger bodies were able to support others living in bigger bodies because I do feel like there is you know we we obviously live in a world that idealizes thinness that judges people in bigger bodies um, that is not something that I've had lived experience of so even though we do obviously do body image work and relationship around food etc you know it is really important that we would have and be able to direct to other people that are in this space that can support like it, it and the sad reality is when we look at people that are in the nutrition and dietetic space or even the from a, like a psychological perspective therapeutic space like it is mostly pin white people that's yes. the reality yeah um and you know so because people maybe live, live in bigger bodies don't tend to maybe go in and, and study in this area then there's less people to support people that, that actually need this support. They need to be able to see um, other people in bigger bodies that are now living a peaceful, content life and have a good relationship with food and their body and with movement and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there, there are people that are obviously doing it, but we just do need a lot more. We do need yeah. a lot more. Thank you for bringing that up. And actually, as you're speaking there, I'm thinking the people that I am aware of who have lived experience, who live in bigger bodies, who are in the nutrition or movement space. I'm going to put some links to those in the show notes as well for, for people who are listening to go and look at it. Because I think I don't, I also don't have lived experience of being in a, in a very big body or being discriminated <clears throat> against, you know, experience of weight stigma or discrimination on my, towards my body, my body size. So yeah, 
you can there, there's only so far then that your empathy can stretch to that because if you don't have the lived experience you just don't have the lived experience and you don't exactly. know what that's like yeah and it is it's it's really important i think for people who really value that and want that as part of their own journey to work with people who have yes. like lived yeah. experience to to know that there there are a few um and the ones that i'm aware of i'm not sure if i know anybody in ireland who who work i know there's a few people on instagram that i can link to but not who works necessarily in this space yeah. but if you know anybody yeah. Sinead, you can send it on to me and I'll, I'll put it in there as well but um, we'll have to put our heads together we will um there is a few i think i know in the states at least but um yeah it is an area and i think it's 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 really important to um to think about that too so thank you for mm-hmm. that now um yeah i suppose is there like if people are new to intuitive eating um Sinead, like how would you how would you explain it to people like yeah how would you describe it um, so I would describe it, well, it's basically a 10 principle framework that was put together by two dietitians who would have, that's back in the 90s, a long time ago now, Evelyn uh, Fabrina and Elise Resch. And uh, they put this framework together because basically they were working with people for weight loss. And what they saw was this continuous pattern of you would send people on their merry way. They would lose weight. They would come back. They would have weight gain. They would have gained weight back and then often more. And this cycle went on and on until they decided what's going on here. This doesn't make sense. It's not effective. It's actually causing harm. So they put together this framework and really it's a self-care um, framework that allows you to unplug from all of the external noise all of the diet culture rules and restrictions and the diet mentality the good the bad the shoulds the shouldn'ts and it allows you to reconnect to your own body cues your own body's wisdom like that we all have this innate wisdom from the minute we're born you know whether you're bottle fed or breastfed you know when you're born how much food you will see babies that will pull away from the bottle or the breast when they've had enough or they'll even spit up the bit that they still they didn't need you know look at it we we have that from a very young age with the that we have that from when when we're born but we lose that along the way somewhere when we either go on a diet or either when somebody around us tells us that our body it, you know, should is we can't trust our bodies. They'll tell us maybe, you know, you shouldn't be eating that amount. You shouldn't want to eat that food. If we've heard any of that messages growing up in our household, um, then that would have interrupted our body trust and our ability to be attuned to our body's signals and needs. So this framework is really allowing us to do the work of disconnecting to the external stuff and learning and teaching us how to reconnect with understanding our hunger, our fullness, our satisfaction, finding ways to move in a way that feels good, finding ways to respect our body, finding ways to challenge a lot of the thinking, the unhelpful thinking that a lot of us have around food and our body, you know, how to find that self-compassion to find a way to speak to ourselves in a way um, that actually allows us to meet our needs. Because if you ask yourself, how has it worked out for you thus far to have shamed your body and have put yourself through the misery of dieting time and time again? How has it worked? Because we, we know that shame does not motivate positive behavior change. Yeah. So asking ourselves that question, we can kind of redirect our focus to say, 
do I want to feel better in my body? Do I want to feel less stressed? Do I want to feel more attuned to what my body, like what feels good in my body? Like there's nothing beats sitting down to a meal where you can eat what you need, that you can stop when you're full and you know that there's more of this food available to you tomorrow, the next day. You know that you've had something really satisfying that has given you energy and that you walk away from just feeling truly nourished. There is nothing better than that experience. And that doesn't come on a diet plan or any kind of prescriptive meal plan, et cetera. It just, it doesn't exist. So that's ultimately what intuitive eating does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and the way you talk about that, like sitting down and having that freedom and flexibility and that just that knowing as well, that I can have this and I can stop because I can stop because there's more when I need Mm -hmm. to the next time is, incredibly grounding and healing in and of itself I think that's kind of the the ongoing uh, practice of that is is very healing in and of itself in a ways that I think like supports our nervous system regulation for example now I don't have any exact scientific resource to point to what I'm just what I just said but both my personal lived experience and what I hear from my clients and and stuff said I just feel so much more grounded I feel much calmer because hey the body is getting fed on a regular basis who would have yes. thought you know absolutely like, but food gives us a sense of safety you know anybody that has ever experienced food scarcity you know it's it really activates your nervous system to be unsure if there is food coming the next day so when you do trust that there is food coming and you know there's no diet around the corner something happens within us where we do feel that sense of groundedness and we can actually be more calm in our decisions and we can approach it with that kind of flexible mindset. We can respond to whatever our needs are as opposed to this kind of reactivity that so many of us find ourselves in. We're reacting to that kind of diet mentality. You know, anyone that has ever started, opened a packet of food thinking, oh, I'm only going to have one but then there's all these rules about you're not allowed anymore. And then before you know it, you're down the end of the packet and you're like, holy shit, how did that happen? And yeah. of course it did, because that's your diet, that's your diet restricted mentality. Exactly. And, they, and, and I think as well, we didn't, we, well, we kind of touched on it, but, you know, and when I said earlier as well, like that uh, the deprivation driven eating, which is why the dieting has to go and, and the healing around like eating enough and eating regularly and adequately and stuff like the impact that have on the psychology where was I going with this now um is that yeah that sometimes I feel like there is kind of this pseudo permission that we see and like even in some of the the, the treatment around eating disorders it's kind of like yeah you can do that but not too much because mm. there is like there's anti-fat bias kind of like sort of woven in as well so it, yes. it's kind of it it's very hard to I mean I suppose like specifically say you sometimes it's very overt but it's kind of like covert it's just when you've spent a lot of time in weight inclusive spaces and anti-diet spaces and where the conversation has kind of widened you can just feel it can't you you can just sort yeah. of, it's hard to kind of pimp what's problematic about that but something just feels like it's kind of well that is okay for you but not for you because your body is going to get too big 
Mm. Oh my God, absolutely it is because we won't escape that anti-fat bias. And, you know, I think that when we take, we, when the kind of the conversation is around, oh, but like, yeah, you can eat what, what you want, that kind of permission. But as you mentioned, you know, there's still that, oh, but, but maybe just, but also it has to be a moderate amount of that, you know, um, and there's still a lot of fear around and judgment around if bodies change. Yet weight gain can be such a sign that your relationship with food and your body and your mental health has improved like drastically. And yet that will be rarely acknowledged because all that would be seen and judged then is maybe weight gain. And that's yeah. just seen as a bad thing. And it's when, back to that weight and health conversation around, you know, mm. well, weight or too much, too, too much inverted commas is like, that's, that's bad without actually having any context for that individual, what that means. Mm. Yes. Right. And we just, yeah. we don't know, like, you know, the saying goes, it's like the only thing you can tell by judging somebody else's body is your own internalized anti-fat bias yes 100 percent. you know so um as we're kind of moving towards wrapping up i wanted to ask you Sinead what joyful nourishment mean to you oh great question um joyful nourishment for me means um I guess, you know, a lot of it, which is what we would have touched on, but, you know, it's the, it's been able to be obviously attuned to my body in, in terms of knowing what, what types of food would satisfy me, what right now, what's going to give me energy and help me sleep well and help me concentrate, focus, what's going to help my mood. But also knowing that being attuned to those needs is also not about hitting the nail on the head every single moment. It's not about being so fully present with every bite I ever eat. It's not about being perfectionistic. It's knowing that some days I will mindlessly eat. Some days I'm, I emotionally eat. Some days I, um, I, I, you know, and, and that's still okay. Cause it's still nourishment. And it's knowing that being an intuitive eater, being a normal eater is, is just having, completely the peace with whatever it might look like that day and that there is never any criticism or judgment really about what how I'm eating what I'm eating when I'm eating that it's that freedom that is nourishment to me because it's it's not just body nourishment it's my mind it's my soul so it's my whole it's my it's just my whole self so that that to me is true nourishment because yeah I'm really like it's always we're always trying to move away from the black and white thinking the all or nothing like it you know the peace and all of that lies in the gray it yes. lies in the in the middle somewhere and yeah. so I'm always trying to get there and to stay there as best I can um and you know it's yeah it's it's a it's evolving work isn't it it's always the but but yeah that's that's ultimately what joyful nourishment the, means to me joyful nourishment is being in the messy middle Oh, it's been in the messy middle. And, and what you said there, Sinead, reminded me of this quote from Sharon Salzberg. And she said, balance is not a static act. And I just mm -hmm. love that. Yes. It just reminds us of this flexibility, right? It's just that it, the, the freedom is in, in, in some of that flexibility. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And if you were going to give one kind of takeaway from our conversation or advice or some words of encouragement for the listener 
who's been listening to our conversation today, what would that be? Um, I think for anybody listening, they might be like, oh, this all sounds great. How do I get started? And they kind of, it's wonderful to have the energy to think about like, oh, I, I want a piece of that. But I would also, my, my words of wisdom is relax, relax and take a breath because you might want all of this and you absolutely, it's possible for us all. But sometimes it's a bit like how we kind of approach dieting. We want to get in and get, get, get started and we want to get, we want to figure it all out. And I can tell you, it takes a long time to wrap your head around a lot of what it is that we're talking about, what intuitive eating is, what a non-diet approach to health looks like to figure out, you know, your own current rules and rigidity or restrictions around food there. It's not a, I'll start intuitive eating Monday kind of a job. It's, I would, I would say, relax about your eating, relax about maybe, you know, how you're going to figure out how you might like to gather information about intuitive eating. So I would say, pick maybe whatever mode you find most accessible to you. For some people, they'll really learn well through podcasts. For some people, they might want to just go out and buy the intuitive eating book and just start reading and learning about that. Um, you know, for some people, they might want to watch some YouTube videos of Evelyn Triboli or whatever. However, you might gather that information. But I would honestly say it will take time. So, you know, try to um, just meet it with lots of patience and compassion and just and relax. And this is the first time. If you're considering a non-diet approach to health, if you're considering embracing intuitive eating and thinking, yeah, this sounds good. I want to get, I want, I, I want to move towards this. I would say just take your time slowly. Just no need to rush into anything. It will come in good time. I love that. Take your time and take a breath and relax and allow the, the time to, to do that because it is so radically different than dieting. Mm-hmm. And if we've come from, years or even decades of dieting it's going to take time and it's okay to dip in and out as well for a while while people are like figuring things out because yeah it's going to feel feel different so thank you for that so Sinead if people want to follow you look at the work that you do um and know more about yeah where you hang out online and what you offer to the world, where can they find you? So I am on uh, Instagram, which is just intuitive.eating.ireland. So that's the only place I'm kind of online. Apart from then, I have a website. So I run a business with my um, wonderful friend, Shauna Gibson. And myself and Shauna have got a website called www.intuitiveeatinghub.com. And we on that website have kind of a list of the workshops and the courses and stuff that we do. So we have at the moment, our doors are closed. They're going to be opening again in September. Um, We do a 12 week course uh, on how to become an intuitive eater, which is like weekly support calls, uh, daily support through a Telegram app and lots of different modules and content to dig your teeth into. Um, So that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you. And thank you so much, Sinead, again, for being a guest on this podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for listening to Joyful Nourishment. This podcast is produced solely by me with no financial backing and your support means a lot to keep this project going. If this episode has been helpful in any way, It really helps this podcast to help others if you click like, subscribe, or leave a five-star review 
on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. And of course, you can also subscribe so that you won't miss any future episodes. Find out more about what I do in my private practice and what I offer over on straightforwardnutrition.com. And I am currently taking on new clients, so you will find a link to book in for a free 30-minute session in the show notes if this is something you're interested in. And finally, please come and join the Joyful Nourishment community over on Substack by subscribing to my newsletter.